Glad to have you today. Sounds like you're awake today. That's great. That's, that's a lot better. Um, you know, we've been going through the book of Revelation, and uh, Jeff did an awesome job last week uh, sharing with us, and, uh, and then today you got me. <laughs> but we've been learning about the book of Revelation, and the, the key to learning and understanding the book of Revelation is chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, John received a revelation, and he was told to write, therefore, what you have seen, which is past tense, and then what is now, what, what are, you know, what's going on right now, and then what will take place later. And so taking that uh, outline to the book of Revelation, and you start breaking it down, you'll start learning that the book of Revelation is quite easily uh, understood if you let the Bible interpret Revelation instead of some guy on the radio that's got some uh, you know, last days thing about some part of the country, it gets kind of crazy when you get, it, get to going in that direction. What I want to do today, I'm going to be speaking from chapter 5 of Revelation. And, uh, but I want to back up a little bit and, and talk about the, the, the divisions of this chapter. In, in Revelation chapter 1, we have the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus is what you're seeing. And, you know, he said, I was uh, the first, the last, beginning, end, and all that there. And there is actually 36 names of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. So when it says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ, why would we ever want to skip over this book that's going to help us understand Jesus Christ better? So 36 different names of Jesus Christ in just the book of Revelation. So the first chapter is the resurrected, glorified body of Jesus. Chapters 2 and 3 tells us uh, about the seven churches. And we found out in, when I shared about the numbers, seven is a number of completion. It's like to the full, to the max. It's a number of completion. So what we have in the church, uh, chapters 2 and 3, we have the entire history of the church age. And you go through the different churches as you go across and as we shared with you, a lot of scholars feel like we're now in Laodicean. So we're in the last stage. I share with you is like if I was telling you about my son's life. Uh, tell me about, you know, your son, your oldest son, Matthew. I, I could tell you about when he was born or when he was a toddler or when he was a teen or a young adult. So there's stages of his life. And just like that, there is an, the ages of the church as the church began at the day of Pentecost and went across you have it. You can see these pointed out in history. Most scholars feel like it's a historical uh, pattern or a study of the age of the church. And so, what you're seeing, if uh, you know, when somebody's getting up in age, you're going, "Well, we don't know when he's going to go, but he's getting pretty old." You know, or you, you can say that he's not, he don't have as many years ahead of him as he has in the past. Well, we believe that we don't have as many years ahead of us as we did in the past. And if we're in the Laodicean, we're in the last part of, we've been in the last days since Pentecost. You read the New Testament, they all talk about the last days. We've been in the last days because the church age is the last stage of the last age, of the last days, you might say. So chapters two and three is church history in its totality. Number seven, you know, seven churches. Chapters four and five, which Jeff started four last week, 
chapter 4 and 5, it's when the church is caught up. It's the word we get, the rapture. The church is raptured in chapters 4 and 5. The church is mentioned 20-something times in the first four chapters, or the first three chapters to the end. And then the church is caught up. You don't hear anything else mentioned about the church until you get past the millennial. Uh, I mean, so there's something. The church has disappeared in the book of Revelation. And so the church is caught up in chapters 4 and 5. Then in chapter 5, the church is worshiping God in heaven. And that's where we're today. We're, 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 we've been called up last week into heaven. The church is in heaven. And we're fixing to see what's going on in heaven right after the church is called up. But also, then next week, we'll start with chapter 6 through 19. That's for all the people that got left. <laughs> that's the tribulation period. Chapter 6 through 19, the tribulation period. Chapter 19 is when Jesus comes back to earth. When he comes back during the rapture, he just comes in the air and we go up to meet him. But that's where people get confused when they're trying to predict the end time of the Lord and all that. They're, they're confusing the second coming with the rapture. So the second coming is in chapter 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And then chapter 20 is the thousand years, which is the what? Millennial reign, the thousand year reign of Christ where he rules and reigns here on earth. Chapters 21 and 22 is the new heaven and the new earth, and then we all live happily ever after. So there's a simple overview of this book. We get to chapter 5 there, and um, in chapter 5, I'll start with verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed it with seven seals. I'm going to stop there for just a moment, and I'm going to ask you a few questions, if you will. The topic of the sermon today is who is worthy. I want to ask you today, as we sit here this morning, do ask yourself, do I have a cause worth living for? Do I have a purpose in my life? Do I have a cause worth living for? And the other thing, is what I'm living for worthy of Jesus dying for me? The cause that I'm living for right now, is it worthy of Jesus dying for my cause that I'm living for right now? If it's not, we need to change that today. We really do. Jesus Christ is the only one worthy of our love, our lives, and our all. He's the only one. I believe that. That's why he requires that we put him first, that we seek his kingdom first. And... Uh, Reader's Digest years ago done an article and they said, what makes people happy in life? What is the ingredients for happiness? And they said, we will never have satisfaction, true fulfillment until we come. Uh, they were talking about you got to have somebody to love, somebody that loves you and got to have a purpose in life. But they never did tell you the answer to that. They never did tell you that the, somebody to love is Jesus because he's already loved you first. And that he has a purpose for your life. And there's a reason for you to be on the planet earth. And so we will never really have satisfaction in our life. True fulfillment until we come to worship the one who is worthy, Jesus Christ. Now we look at this in, in Revelation 5 there. What is he talking about that he says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. 
This is a very important verse to begin to understand what's going on right now in heaven uh, in this passage. One thing, they, they took and they wrote uh, the Bible, they wrote the book of Revelation on uh, uh, parchments. Of, uh, and they would take it and it would be 8 by 10 and they would, they would put them together horizontal. horizontal. And uh, as they did that in this papyrus, it would be smooth on one side where they could write on it. The other side would be rough. Most all documents were just written on one side. And so they said that if you were to take the book of Revelations and as you put it together in a scroll, it would have been 15 foot long. We went to Israel and you can see those scrolls. There's still some old scrolls there and they're like, uh, they begin to open up and as you're opening this side, you're rolling this side. So as you're, you're, you're seeing it as it passed by this way. And so as you turn it, the book of Revelation, but what John saw in this revelation, he saw a scroll, and there's something different about it. This, this scroll that he is seeing in heaven, it is written on both sides. And he's also seeing there's seven seals on that, uh, on that scroll. And so it, it's very unusual. But if you would have been a Jew in that day, and you knew Jewish history, that would have been automatically recognized. It's just like any of you that's uh, bought a piece of land or bought a house, you know what a deed looks like. You know what a title, you know when you go to the title company, you look at that paperwork, yeah, that's a deed right there. Because there's a certain look to it. There's a certain, uh, the, the writing, the way you sign it, the, the documentation, there's just something you just, don't, nobody have to tell you that's a deed, you kind of just know it if you've been around business at all. Well, in Jewish history, this would have been known as a title deed with a seal. One of the ways we can interp interpret the Bible is go back and see other places that these same things have been used. In Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, 6 through 29, I'm not going to read all that today, but there is a purchase uh, piece of property, purchase piece of property. And it had received a title deed sealed with a condition. And uh, so in Jeremiah, we see this complete thing. And this, this deed, and the reason it's written on both sides is because it would have the deed. They'd have it rolled up with all the dimensions and who owns it. And, you know, and they would have in there, if there's any uh, family members, closest to kin, all this. The Jews were very specific. And if you ever owned land, they didn't want you to lose it. Well, they had these conditions. If you were, if I bought a piece of property or a house, and for some reason I got sick or I was out of work and I couldn't pay for the piece of property, what happens to it? They come repossession, right? And, you know, you could maybe file for bankruptcy or you could, but you go through this process. There was a process then. And in Jeremiah, it tells you this whole process, Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter. They, there's a process where there was land bought, and then it had to be forfeited. And when it had to be forfeited, they, they took and they, all the uh, description of the land was sealed up, and they sealed it. And th there was given then, there was a time, uh, a time stamp on that, uh, the ability to get your land back. In biblical times, they give you seven years to be able to get your land back. And so 
they would write on the outside the condition of the forfeit, why it was forfeited. And they would, you know, they would also have documentations of if there's a, you know, near of kin, any kin folks. And uh, so they, they put that on the outside of the document and they would seal. And so they would seal it one, you know, the second year, seal it. Third year, they would seal it. And so this document that John is seeing in heaven, it has seven seals on it has seven seals on it. And what I believe is happening here, if you were to go back and try to get your property back, you'd have to go before the council or the, the city elders, and they'd have to go and you'd have to present yourself and go, I want to buy my land back. I want to buy it back. I was in a bad, you know, I went through a bad time and now I've got the money to buy it back. Or you would go and plead with them, well, my husband died and I don't have the money, but you know, my, my sons are getting up and if you could wait a little bit, is there any else, any way we could work it out? And so you, they would eventually give you time. They give you seven years. And so you would plead to be able to keep your land. You would look for a redeemer, somebody that was kin to you to help redeem. It's the whole story of, of Boaz and Ruth. Ruth you know, her husband died. She's losing everything. She's not going to have anything. She'll have no inheritance. She'll have nothing. And so she's out looking for a kinsman redeemer. Is there somebody in my family lineage that would be able to step up and pay the cost and get my land back? Well, what I believe is taking place in this part of Revelation, the fifth chapter, we see John sees up in heaven and there is a throne room and there's 24 elders, and we get there, and there's something going on. There's God on the throne, and, and uh, there's this scroll, and this scroll has seven uh, seals on it. I believe that, to me, that represents the title deed. Well, what's the title deed of? I believe that is a title deed of planet Earth. I believe it's the, it's the title deed to planet Earth. See, when God gave this earth, he created this earth, and he made it for man. He gave it to Adam, and he said, I want you to rule and have dominion over it, and I want you to, uh, you know, take care of it. This is your earth. I give it to you. And Adam, you know, Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. The, the serpent, Satan, he deceived her. But Adam loved Eve so much, he didn't want to do life without her. And so he partook willingly and rebellingly, and he lost his deed, his right to planet Earth. You go, well, man, that's, that's, that's terrible. It's like, you know, I, I treasure guitars. I've got several guitars that I really love. You know, and I hope one day I'll, you know, give a guitar to my two sons. And, uh, but, you know, I think about that. What if I gave it to them at the wrong time? And they go, well, here, I want you to have this Martin and they don't realize how many times I play that and how much I love it. And, and they, well, I'm not much into guitars. And they go out and sell it for, you know, 200 bucks. Like, oh, my God, what'd you do, son? That's crazy. But I, I'd have to pull back and say, I gave that to you. And you sold it. 
I may be able to try to contact the, the people that bought it and tell them of the big mistake and could I possibly buy it back. And they probably won't double or triple or whatever because they, you know, they know now there's a sentimental value in it. Well, Adam, he had dominion. He had the right to rule and reign over this earth and he forfeited it to Satan. I believe if we understand Revelation 5, we understand why the world's in the shape that it's really in right now. I think we do. You know, when stuff, bad stuff happened, they had a terrible tornado in, in Kansas. When bad things happen, what do they call it? An act of God. But is it an act of God? I don't like that blaming every bad thing that goes on in the world, you blame it on God. Begin to blame it on God and say, you know what, God, God did that. Adam and Eve forfeited. They ate of the forbidden fruit from the tree of good and the knowledge of evil. And they forfeited that. But I, I think the world's in the shape it's in because we think of, uh, of this. The earth was given to man and man forfeited the, the rule of this earth. And now it's in the hands of Satan. How do we know that? Because Paul calls Satan the God of this world. How do we know that? Because Jesus called Satan the prince of the world. Matthew 4 and 8, it said, Again, the devil took him, talking about Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Verse 9, All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. You know, our hiking group, we went up to uh, Black Mountain, and you can see, look down on a big portion of the Cumberland uh, area here. What if I, we went up there and I go, folks, if y'all would bow down and worship me, I'll give you this whole Cumberland Plateau. <laughs> you go, well, that would be good, but you don't own, you don't have, the, you don't own all the, you'll notice Jesus did not look to Satan that day on that high place and say, what are you talking about, Satan? You don't own this world. He did not come back with that. The devil said, all of this I'll give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Satan's wanted worship from the very beginning. That's why he was cast out of heaven. He wanted to be worshipped. And so, you know, people, the, the question that gets people and turns people against God, they think God, every bad thing in their life that happens to them, well, God could have stopped it, God. But you, you don't realize that God gave us dominion and we forfeited it. We forfeited it. You say, well, I didn't do it. Adam did it. But I believe Adam was the best. He was the best we had. But he forfeited it. See, if God is so good, you ever heard that statement? If God is so good, why is this world wicked? If God is so good, why is there sickness? Why is there people dying of cancer? Why is there death? Well, you know, everybody, every time somebody dies, we know it's a sign of the forfeiture. We know it is because, because of sin, death reigns. Death is still reigning. And... So, did you know when Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee and he was, had been preaching all day and he went down in the boat and then the wind came up and about, about to sink the boat and they go down and they wake Jesus up and he comes and stands on the bow of the boat. I've been on that Sea of Galilee and I can't tell you how emotional it is to be on the, a boat on the Sea of Galilee. 
It's just something comes over you that's unexplainable. But I was on there, and Jesus, I was thinking about that. Jesus stood, and he said, peace, be still. Well, you know what the word still there means? It says, it means peace, be muzzled, muzzled. Did you know when Jesus cast out a demon that was speaking out and saying all these false things, Jesus would say, Satan, be muzzled. Satan, be muzzled. The devil still has a lot of uh, conflict with this world. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He brings sickness and death and hurt and damage. The world is, the, the devil is the enemy. He's the problem, folks, not God. God's not the problem. And, you know, you look back then and you look at Adam, and Adam, he couldn't turn around and look to a kinsman and redeemer because he was the first. And so we see the, the world plunged into this awful mess that it is even to this day. In verse 2, he said, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. He didn't say, is there anybody willing to do it? He said, is there anybody worthy to do it? Verse 3 says, but no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And John said, I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look on the inside. Uh, they said that John, the wording there in the, in the Greek language is he cried convulsively. That's the first recorded tears in heaven that I know of. He cried convulsively. Why is John so upset? I think he knew from the symbol of it. I think he knew that was the title, deed to this earth. I think he knew that with the seven seals, the time was running out. It was a completion and that the planet Earth was possibly going to be lost forever to Satan himself. I, I think it, uh, it, it, it appeared that there would be no redeemer. And the world would be lost and he, Satan would now rule eternally on Earth. I think about in our, our own nation, you go, well, what does that world look like? Folks, if we did not have the hope of Jesus Christ returning to take us home, I think we'd all be crying today. I think we're all realizing that politicians are not going to get us out of this mess. I remember when I was growing up, <clears throat> there was a movie come out, and it caused worldwide panic. The movie was called Gone with the Wind. And there's a line in that movie. He said, frankly, my dear, I don't give a, and there's a word there. I'm not going to say the word. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go there and say that word. But America wanted that book disposed of. They didn't want it in any libraries. They wanted the movie taken off the movie screens. And now that word would be in a commercial. That word would be in a family movie. That would be in a Disney movie. That's how far the world has failed. Our movies was Ozzy and Harriet and Father Knows Best. And 
Leave It to Beaver and all wholesome type films. But look where we're at today. Look at, in, in just my lifetime, look how bad it's become. We've got generation today, somebody told me they went to apply for a job the other day and it said, what was your gender at birth? And, and, and Crossville. We're not getting better, folks. We're getting worse. And I think John, John had been boiled in oil. He was on the Isle of Patmos. He had give his entire, he was an old man. He had give everything that he could give to build the churches. And he could see them going down. And he could see them going through these it was just, he, was a, he was a good pastor. He was an honest, hard-working pastor, and he was seeing all of this happen. And he just began to cry, all the work, everything that I'd done, everything, all the lives of the 12 disciples, everything that we've been through, everything that we tried to do, everything that, it's all in vain now. And he's crying. There's no one, there's no one is coming to open the seal. Can you imagine what this world will be like for your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren? If we fail that far in just, say, 40 years, can you imagine where we're going to be in 40 more years? It'd be scary. It'd be scary. It is scary. And you start feeling that gloom and doom. There's not a whole lot to look forward to without God, without Jesus Christ in our life. And so John understood how desperate and how horrible it was. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. John says, do not weep. He said, see, John, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. That word is the word that we get Nike from Nikeo, it's, it's the word that they actually got the Nike shoe. It means he is the victor. <laughs> He's the victor. And the beautiful thing about scripture, not only is, is uh, David, uh, Jesus is from David, but David is from Jesus. Amen. How can that be? But because Jesus was from the beginning. Before there was a beginning, there was a Jesus. And so you got David, and then you got the branch, and Jesus is both ends of that perspective. He's the first and the last and the middle. And he said, uh, he has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And in Genesis 49 and 10, we kind of get a little bit of a revelation of this. The scepter, the symbol of power and authority, rule. There's a verse of scripture there in, in our very first book of the Bible, Genesis. says, the scepter, the symbol of power and authority will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he whom it belongs shall come. And the obedience of the nation shall be his. This is a prophetic word given as, uh, as uh, Jacob is beginning to uh, tell each one of his sons that will eventually become Israel, 
the nation of Israel. He's given all of them a word from God. And he tells Judah, he said, there's something special about Judah. He said that there's going to be a scepter. And this scepter, this, this power, this ability to rule, the authority to rule will not depart from Judah until the one that it belongs to comes. I'm talking about Jesus. I love when scripture does this. Josephus uh, was a church historian during the time of Christ. And he tells that in A.D. 12, something happened. In A.D. 12, the Roman government took away Israel's ability to rule by taking away the ability to execute capital punishment. You remember when after the flood, there was a Noahic covenant. And it was like, if you take a life, a life will be taken. It'll be an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. That's how a sinful world is controlled is by punishment. It's by punishment. Can you imagine what this world would be like if there was no, uh, you just do as you please. You could take what you wanted. Take somebody else's property. Take somebody else's wife. Take somebody else's car. There's no rule. There's no authority. And so the way that an ungodly uh, populace of people, the way that they ruled is they were given the right to punish those that broke the law. And so Israel become very successful at uh, punishing people that broke the law. If your child spoke back, they took you to the edge of the county and they stoned them. They didn't talk back no more. Didn't have very many talking back kids, teenagers then. And there was these, these things you could do. You could put them outside the camp. But they ruled by the authority of their ability that, to execute capital punishment. That was an Old Testament. You can see it all the way. And so in AD 12, the Roman government took over and says, we're taking that. It's causing too much damage, too much control. Uh, we're in charge. We're just allowing you as uh, your religion to carry on. But we're taking that authority away from you. Well, the rabbis, Josephus said, they went out into the streets tearing their garments, rending their garments, tearing their garments, and uh, yelling and screaming and wailing and throwing dirt up in the air because they felt like that the Roman government has caused the very prophetic words of Jacob to fall to the ground because their authority to rule had been taken away from them. And they were thinking, you know, this scepter was supposed to stay with us until he comes, until he comes. Well, the beautiful thing that was happening on that very day, Josephus says, in the same city, in a temple, there was a 12-year-old boy talking to the religious leaders, and he was confounding them with how wise he was. So when you think about that, Jesus was in the temple, and they were, their authority to rule was taken from them because Jesus had come. Amen. The Bible is so specific. It's so uh, to the point. And so they, here they were gnashing of teeth, wailing, tearing their clothes, screaming, throwing dirt, protesting because they were not aware that God was right down the road in the temple. Here's the thing. Sometimes I think we 
we wail and we cry and we curse God and it's an act of God and it's this and that. We don't even understand that God's still in control. That God is, he's not, he hasn't, he hasn't left us. God is still in control. And the, the earth, you know, after you buy something, your, your funds are held in escrow, right? And there's a time they have to get all the transaction taken care of. And then when it's settled in, you can go, you know, move in your house and somebody else can take your house and all that. But there's a time it's in escrow. I believe the earth, earth is already paid for and it's in escrow. And I, I believe what John the Revelator saw when he was in heaven, he saw the 24 elders and he saw the throne room and he saw this seal representing the title deed to this earth. And he saw that the time was running out and he felt the doom and the gloom of there was nobody. And then all at once there was somebody and it was the lamb of the tribe, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so what he does uh, he turns. It says, then I saw a lamb. When he turns to look at the lion, he sees the lamb. You got that picture, Jeff? He turned to look at the lamb and looking as if he had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and elders. The lamb had, the lamb had seven horns. Horns represent power in, in the Bible. He had full power. He is omnipotent. Fully empowered. And so also this lamb has complete omnipotent power. He has seven eyes, meaning that he has complete insight. He can see everything from every direction. Not that he had physical, you know, seven eyes, but he had full, complete insight. He was omniscient. There was not anything that he didn't know, that he didn't see. Well, even those things you don't think he sees, he sees. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. And, and we're, we're seeing this take place. He said he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And, and so he's everywhere present. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. He's all-knowing. He's all-seeing. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And so God has sent out all, he sent out all of the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. And they are the prayers of the people. And they sang a new song. You ever thought about your prayers? You think, well, you know, God's never going to answer my prayers. The Bible said there's, there's bowls of prayers in heaven. I don't know. I've got a habit that every single day I pray the Lord's Prayer. Lord, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And his kingdom has not come yet. And his will has not been done yet. But I'm filling up a bowl in heaven. I wonder if your bowl in heaven is dry today or is your bowl in heaven. Because these are prayed prayers that are has accumulated in heaven. It represents what you used to see in the old tabernacle. The, the, the bowls had incense, and the incense brought about a great uh, uh, you know, a flavor, a smell to, 
to the, the priest. And so our prayers are like that incense and those bowls. And our prayers are being stored up. There are certain times that God can actually uh, interact and answer those prayers. One of these days that those bowls, I love to see this little kids park down here where they have the, the get in the water park there. And this thing fills up at the top and then it dumps out. And it just washes all the little kids away. There's a tipping point. There's a tipping point coming, folks. We need to keep praying. We need to keep praying. We need to keep talking to God because our prayers do count and they're adding up. And one of those days, our prayers are going to be answered. Our children are going to be saved. Things are going to turn around. And the devil's no longer going to be the God of this world anymore. But until then, we have to physically, through the power of God and the Holy Spirit, we have to take dominion on a daily basis. I was pulling some weeds the other day at the house, and I was thinking, if it wasn't for Adam, I wouldn't have to do these weeds. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you something. It is true. There's a lot of weed in the world today because of Adam. He's called this whole world to go to pot. (laughs) But a new day is coming. A new day is coming. And the thing is, you can pull up them weeds today and tomorrow or the next day they're back up. And so it's, it's, it's kind of worked. Even though we rely on the grace of God, there is, we have to be vigilant. We have to pray. Because we're living in a fallen world. We're not out of that world yet. And But that picture of heaven lets us know that that day that God will take back. When the rapture comes, God is going to come back and he's going to take his rightful ownership to this earth. And he's going to rule and reign for a thousand years. That he unobstructed, nothing. There'll be no devil. There'll be no problem. When God, you know, he's going to set up a new heaven and a new earth, we're going to reign with him forever. But we're going to be a part of that. We're coming back from heaven with him. I think about all of that, and I think about what God is, is doing. And what I wanted to do in service today, this picture changes directly in this passage. John sees that. He realizes what's happening. There's a changing of the title deed of the earth, and there's only one that's worthy to take, take it, and it's Jesus, the Lamb of God. He's the only one worthy. I want the team to come back, and they're going to sing a song. And... Can you imagine John there? He thought the world was doomed. He turns and sees, looks for a lion and he sees a lamb. Then it all starts coming back that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. He is Jesus and he is the one that is worthy. And he is the only one that's worthy. There is nobody else that are worthy. He's exclusively worthy. He's worthy because he created this earth to start with. He's worthy because he came and he bought this earth back after Adam lost it. He was our kinsman redeemer. And he will restore all things back to its proper place. And he is worthy. And so today, there's only one person to worship today, and that's Jesus. There is no other way to be saved but through Jesus Christ. If y'all want to push that on all... I want us to worship, and I'm going to come back for just a bit, and we're going to have a little bit more worship. I looked, and there before me was a throne in heaven, 
with someone sitting on it. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass, like crystal. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of millions of angels. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever.
rolls of thunder. Let us sing in honor, strength, and glory and power be to you, the only wise King. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. With all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You slain from the founders of the earth. He knew what he was going to have to do to buy back the deed to this earth. And he said, I'll go. He become our kinsman and redeemer. I love this next song they're going to do because it said, Lord, what, what, I don't really have anything to give that's worth that. But I'm going to give you my hallelujah. I'm going to thank you anyway. Heard about a, you'll notice it said when John saw, he saw a bloody slaughtered lamb. I don't know if Jesus is going to look, maybe not the blood, but if we're going to see the bruise, Jesus, or the, we'll see the Jesus with the spikes in his hands and his feet and the scar in his side, maybe around the top of his head, even throughout all of eternity. The reason I think that may be the case 
is when doubting Thomas saw him, he said, here, Thomas, put your hand in my side. Look at the scars in my hand. It's really me. It's me. I'm the one that died for you. It's me. And I heard about a man. He was completely burned. He was, you didn't hardly want to be around him or look on him. He was so disfigured. Somebody asked his wife, said, how can you live with that every day seeing him? She said, it's a pleasure. I see all of that as beauty. Our house was on fire and he ran back in to get our kids and he saved our kids, rescued our whole family. But he's been burned. But every time I see those burns, every time I see those bruises, every time I see those scars, I just see love. I just see love. I hope you can sing this next song and see love today. The love he has for you.